welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi Hello ma'am hello these are discussing today yes ha uh-huh. great priyanka hmm Welcome to Impri Web Policy Talk. I request Anshula to take over the stage now. Hi. Uh, uh, good evening to one and all. I am Anshula Mehta, Assistant Director at Impact and Policy Research Institute, Impri, New Delhi, and I welcome you all to episode twenty-two of our talk series, "The State of Gender Equality: Hashtag Gender Gaps," organized by the Gender Impact Studies Center at Impri, along with Gender Center for Research and Innovation. and delhi post today we have with us dr ritu agarwal speaking on the covid-19 pandemic and women's lives in wuhan and it's my pleasure to introduce her to you all dr ritu agarwal is an associate professor at the center for east asian studies school of international studies jawaharlal nehru university jnu delhi she holds a phd in chinese studies from the university of delhi and an ma in political science from jnu Her doctoral work explored the micro-level agrarian transformation in Yunnan province, and she is currently engaged in questions of provincial transformation, especially in Yunnan. Her research interests are rural political economy, urbanization, gender studies, and provincial politics. Dr. Ritu Agarwal studied Mandarin Chinese from Beijing Language and Culture University, Beijing. She was a visiting scholar to Yunnan Academy of Social Sciences Kunming and visiting fellow to Yunnan Minzu University and Yunnan University recently. She was also affiliated to the Chinese University of Hong Kong and East Asia Institute at the at the National University of Singapore to collect material for her research work. Thank you ma'am for joining us today. Uh, we it's a pleasure to have you with us to share your insights on this topic. We also have with us Professor Govind Kilkar, who is the chair for today's session. Uh, she is a chairperson of Impri's Gender Impact Studies Center and also executive director of the Gender Center for Research and and Innovation. Uh, with that, I hand it over to you, ma'am, to make your initial remarks and then invite Dr. Ritu Agarwal to make her presentation. Okay. My initial remarks are to welcome Professor Ritu Agarwal. Hmm? We welcome you in this forum. uh ritu i can call you ritu i hope so having known you for number of years we have known each other so uh, really we have been looking forward to your sharing of your knowledge wisdom analysis of recent developments in china in the in context of covid 19 and when you have word the kind of use the word wuhan i was very excited in person because wuhan is known for two things it is known really for the covid uh, source of covid i don't know to what but it is the common kind of parlance and uh, to the extent of that wherever the people from wuhan were there they were uh, considered carrying the virus i was in chiang mai at that time and they said oh there are a lot of business people from wuhan so you must be infected nothing happened still by now but this is the kind of wuhan's reputation goes mm-hmm. second it is also known for a wuhan diary by fang fang which became internationally known kind of thing and uh, that is uh, that is another important thing um 
I also thought that background, it would be important that uh, to discuss a kind of uh, feminist activism, which so much kind of uh, uh, frowned upon in China. At the same time, there are kind of a lot of feminist activities are there. Um, uh, cell phone games uh, has been widely criticized for its derogatory depiction of women and uh, migrant workers situation and violence against women in China, despite the law and it's in 2016. So these are the things that, uh, which makes really a little bit of common kind of uh, situation between India and China. So I look, we look forward to your presentation. Professor Ritu Agrawal, please go ahead, over to you. Okay. Okay, so uh, I'm so happy to be here and uh, so I know Arjun has been saying that it's very cold and but it's cold, but it's nice to be you know having engaged on issues on China which interests everyone. And I'm really uh, you know thankful to Dr. Gubin Kilkar, whom I knew for so many years now. And she really uh, very nicely you know put the background on Wuhan that how Wuhan historically has been so important, not only I mean in terms of uh, feminist activism. And also in today's time, they, it has created a all lot of, you know, a kind of a news around about the a pandemic situation, etc. So maybe, you know, I also want to begin with historical connections of Wuhan with the female activism, with the women activism to begin with, before I take you to journey to how Wuhan, especially women in Wuhan, fought with COVID-19 pandemic situation. So maybe we go to a first slide, uh, because this is, a, you know, I prepared some slide. Uh, well, I don't have a map now, but as you can see, it considered to be a kind of a tri-city complex, which considered to be very important, popular, Han Kong, Wu Chang, and Hanyang, and it's located in the eastern Chianghan Plain in central China. And interestingly, this place was very important, especially in the revolutionary time. Those who are familiar with the anti-Japanese war revolutionary you know, history of China, I'm sure they, they must have been knowing about it that it has created a kind of a new spaces for women's social and political activism. So what happened is that, you know, because of the liberal space it has created for social elite in China, you know, women were able to leave from Shanghai and Nanjing where there was a kind of a, you know, you know, they were forced to leave that area and they were able to make a kind of a united front. So which was actually created a kind of a new sense of resistance against Japanese war in Wuhan. So Wuhan became a very important site of women activism during the anti-Japanese war. So there's a kind of a already resistance culture, uh, I mean, which I wanted to, you know, make you to think because Professor Kelka mentioned about this, uh, you know, diary from Wuhan, which became so popular. So this is there's something, you know, the kind of resistance culture, which was already very, very much existing in Wuhan, especially during the anti-Japanese war. And this kind of a resistance culture actually got articulated through, you know, I mean, I'm sure the people who have gone to China, they all know about the singing drama performances, which has been a feature of popular culture. And through this, they, I mean, it has been used to articulate the kind of a, the kind of feelings, emotions, interests people have about a particular you know, kind of phenomena. So this has been you know, clearly used in China, even in those years. Apart from that, you have various journals and uh, newspaper, which was also constantly writing about this resistance culture. Next slide. So basically, uh, even in those years, I just wanted to, you know, uh, just highlight those things uh, to begin with that, you know, you have in those years, even this Hubei provincial 
women's wartime service group which was very much located in wuhan so this kind of situations was was very much existent in wuhan in in wuhan city as such now let me now connect you to the contemporary time when next slide when we have this spread of uh, pandemic so all this spread of pandemic became became you know so much uh, widespread and in this kind of conditions first thing which came to our mind is a wuhan central hospital from where it's supposed to begin all of this began from there so you know people have called it mysterious disease or the contagion the way it has been spreading all over all over wuhan you know uh, people have you know people have seen the nurses and doctors who were working there uh, that you know the kind of number of patients which were brought to the hospital in a in a number was increasing daily as well as you will see the hospital capacity of icu beds which were also going up so which means that there was a kind of a life threatening situation which started emerging uh, in wuhan central hospital and we all know that it all began from a wechat screenshot from the li wen liang who basically first time indicated there's something like you know sars kind of virus which is, seems to be emerging from a south china seafood wholesale market we seems to be not very far from just 2 km from this wuhan central hospital and in this pandemic kind of a situation there were a kind of a narrative uh, initially by this yechi nurse who supposed to be working in this hospital for quite some time and then she says that suddenly she got a order that she got transferred to this respiratory intensive unit so why i'm telling you all this thing you know the kind of uh, the kind of insecurity the kind of life threatening you know a, a sensation which was a feeling which emerged in that hospital uh, thinking that what is it what kind of disease it is and nobody seems to be knowing that how deadly is going to be in the beginning and this nurse keep on you know describing that how uh all the patients so all this icu beds etc were made to fill it up and they were only the patients who were suffering from a kind of a shortness of breath that become a kind of phenomena and this kind of a disease was seems to be transferring from one person to another so this uh, uh, something which she has not seen in this last four years of her career so and when she even tried to tell to his parents that this is what it is going to be i mean you should be careful the people should wear mask and all but nobody is going to believe her stories and then she found herself in a situation where she was uh, you know compelled to wear uh, all kind of a protective gears as well as uh, protective suits and diapers so that you know she can avoid going to the bathroom so suddenly it become a kind of very emergency kind of situation and also uh, you know i'm sure that all all of you must be hearing about it that when you wear all this protective goggles or uh, as well as the protective suits you have all kind of uh, you know the the impressions the kind of marks on your face which seems to which actually tell you the story the kind of uh, the kind of difficult situation people have gone gone through who have actually served as a nurses in this kind of pandemic so it it you know the story is actually goes on that how people had to immediately react to this kind of situation not knowing that what kind of emergency disease emergency situation people can be in and as well as they were used to, they were made to accustomed to all kind of a Uh, difficult circumstances they found themselves in so next slide uh, and then uh, suddenly people found that you know the employees so many employees had virus including the vice president director of nursing and orthopedics department has seems to be wiped out and so many doctors and nurses have lost their lives so something which people were not prepared for 
And in fact, in this kind of situations, when everything was going like hush hush affair that, you know, you are not supposed to be telling what kind of disease is this, whether it has come from the seafood market or whether it has been spreading like a SARS virus. So in this kind of situation, when a, a director of this emergency at Wuhan Central Hospital, a lady, a woman uh, named Ai Fan, she decided to speak out, criticizing hospital authorities, risking her job, as well as the fear of detention. There's something like, you know, a mysterious disease has occurred, I mean, has been spreading around in Wuhan, and it has killed a lot of her colleagues, as well as friends in, in, in the hospital. So this become a kind of a warlike situation in China, and the city government was struggling to make the uh, medical facilities and hospital beds available for the patients, as well as, as everybody knows that, you know, the closing down of schools, colleges, restaurants, public facilities, business enterprises. So all these uh, are, you know, definitely are going to have an impact on the people, especially women seems to be having a, you know, adverse impact on the women's condition. So I come to know what impact is going to have and how women participated in this kind of a uh, emergency situation. Now, when I was looking at this, uh, uh, the material I was reading and I was trying to find out that how to understand the women's situation in this pandemic. And the first uh, kind of a news which I, was, which I was reading was basically narrative, which was talking about that women as a frontline workers. And so since majority of medical staff in Chinese hospitals are women, and especially during this COVID-19, you know, basically women who become at the forefront to fight this battle, to contain this pandemic. And the female nurses, not only from Wuhan, but also from other cities, leaving their family behind, turn up in a big number. So basically it's like, you know, mobilization, not only from Wuhan, but also from the nearby cities, as well as from the other provinces as well, to come and, get, and, and do some kind of a help to save the people from this pandemic. Of course, initially they did not, they were not provided enough masks, PPE kits, and other protective gears. But then they, the, because they decided to attend this, uh, the number of patients as they were increasing day by day. And then I came across uh, stories and the interviews by some of the nurses, for example, like Cochin. And she says that uh, how, uh, you know, all this, uh, her colleagues and she, they were the one, in fact, they were exposed to the virus. Uh, through her work, because her work basically was to collect the blood samples, etc. But even after they were quarantined and they recovered, they had to come back and join the work. So which means that they were again exposed to all kind of a, uh, you know, uh, the, the dangers which they may fall into because of this pandemic. And also they were nursing assistants, like, you know, some of this migrant uh, rural women uh, who also came from the other, other, other areas they also found themselves at more at risk uh, than the doctors and the full-time nurses. And in fact, uh, there was a, next slide, there was this, uh, uh, yeah. So these are the, some of the uh, pictures I collected, the frontline workers. Uh, on the one hand, you have these nurses working in a hospital full-time, wearing all this protective gears, covering. I mean, the, the, the suit they were wearing was, was almost, uh, I mean, there's, there are narratives which you can say that you cannot even unzip them because if you unzip them, there's, there's a, this question of, you know, you, you getting this contagion, getting this disease. So you have to be extra extra careful about all these things. So nursing assistants, uh, they found it so difficult. And uh, uh, they say that, uh, you know, that once they were confirmed with COVID-19, 
they was forced to leave the war of course but once they uh, you know and the once they were almost on the road after they were infected with the covid 19 facing for their quarantine i mean facing to be quarantined in the sense that initially china did not have so much of quarantine facilities so which means that they were thinking that where they can be quarantined and after some days spending on the street they finally get some 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 space in the quarantine areas but they have to return to the hospital again to look after the covid 19 patients so basically means that you have all this danger of getting the infections again even after you recovered from the infection one more time because you still are working with the in a condition in the hospitals which is full of covid 19 patients so basically but women uh, you know in this in this situation yeah have shown all this their will their professionalism their selfless devotions resilience along with all their uh, you know male people who were working in this area so maybe next slide we can still show the pictures that how you know they were so determined to take the keep take the battle in their hand and fight against this covid-19 pandemic yeah so um, as of uh, you know about 3500 yeah uh, female medical workers from all around the countries so which is which means that uh, has been dispersed to the central chinese uh, wuhan hospital combating this pandemic so there was a, you know there, there was a report from wuhan where the nurse uh, told uh, before leaving to the media that i mean regarding her shorter length haircut story that you know they suppose they decided to cut their they cut their hair short because they realized that once you have to wear this protective suits it may not be convenient for them to to go ahead with their long hair so in this you know they said the looking good is no longer important at this moment because what is more important is that safety of these patients and they were supposed to take a long hour shift getting dressed and dressed from this you know suits which almost took them 2 hours they usually used to wear five layers of clothes under the gown but they still feel you know kind of a very cold in this unheated water so which is which means that uh, you know apart from the work the condition in which they were supposed to work but also quite challenging in in that time and apparently the first batch of the medical staff which came for from tiangxi by the mostly were women were there as well as the medical workers from other places also the most of them who were deployed to come to to assist people in this central hospital serving the covid-19 patients were also women okay next slide yeah so this uh, i have almost uh, covered now the next story of you know apart from this front line workers the next kind of a you know the category of women which were quite involved in doing all kind of work were the community workers now community work become very important in china especially in this uh, pandemic era because they were supposed to be involved in daily checkup of the patients taking care of especially old age parent, parents who were staying alone in the households delivering supplies to the households i mean because everything was shut down all of a sudden so basically somebody has to ensure that vegetable and the essential commodities delivered and at the families and the household where some of the people who were living were old age so basically you know i remember even i used to have a dialogue with my friends in china in those years and they were saying that they want to manage something easy at home so that they can uh, you know lessen the burden on the country providing free meal to the people so there was all this you know the idea of that how to 
uh, how to you know provide ensure the supply of vegetables and commodities to this neighborhood areas where mostly you have the old age population living so i gave the example of you know shuchia is a lady saikonchia what is the meaning of saikonchia saikonchia basically is the one who became a kind of a you know vegetable supplier in that area so there was a woman as a volunteer workers in this particular community street where they decided to uh, provide vegetables and essential commodities to those uh, to those residents especially who are not able to order or who are not able to bring any kind of a supply to their areas second i gave example of huang ping as a teacher so she supposed to you know was placed somewhere else but she decided to come back uh, especially in that time where city was actually completely closed down but it looks like that she actually walked and cycled back to her hometown in wuhan and she decided to work for those people uh, where the people are working in this hospital but the children and the old age parents are living are left behind and she decided to have a kind of a tie up with the supermarket to provide a kind of a commodities in a much uh, cheaper rate because the whole uh, problem was that how to make the commodities price also under control because the commodity price was going up in this pandemic situation third kind of a you know volunteer work i can think of is that thing sauli now thing sauli was a another community you know secretary and she basically decided to you know work a lot for this pandemic kind of situation by looking at this factors of quarantine protection livelihood uh, you know livelihood livelihood protection investigation isolation so all these factors they have to keep in mind and also with this they have to keep their safety also in mind that you know when are doing all this thing how much your safety has been has been protected yeah you can show yeah so this is saikwanchia this is a vegetable supply to this neighborhood areas where you are you know keeping a kind of a packet full of vegetables thinking that who are in the priority list to whom this kind of supplies can be taken place so you can see mostly all this you know people who are bearing this is yeah you can go to next slide this is a kind of situation where i'm saying that they are talk about uh, the day thing or whether somebody has covid 19 covid or not isolation quarantine so is a kind of you know having a round all throughout the day finding out that whether the daily checkup uh, of temperature has been taking place or not systematically so all this community work has been done by by women largely uh, in the grassroots level yeah next slide we can go next uh, i found uh, you know very interesting about the sanitation workers which actually had a kind of a heavy toll on their work and because the main task were basically they were involved in uh, of course keeping the street clean but they have a you know apart from the usual cleaning of services they have to also empty the mask recycling bins sterilize their vehicles you know spray disinfectant into the street so this cleaning and making the street disinfectant also became a kind of a important task for this for this uh, you know sanitation workers and miss lien uh, who quoted in one of the interviews in uh, some of this uh, you know the item which i was checking where she says though, though she has paid 70 yuan per day but if she is not able to perform her duty her double salary will be cut so in this kind of extreme harsh as well as demanding conditions they decided even when the transportation was not working well they decided to walk for an hour and so to get to the cleaning station and especially especially in the initial time when the covid-19 was really spreading in a big way the heavy work like you know garbage collections and uh, public toilets cleaning pick uping of trash 
vehicles, uh, disposable bags. I mean, whatever it was, it was becoming increasing. The work was increasing much in number, and as well as the community service centers, the hospital was sterilized. So apart from cleaning, you have a sterilization work as well, and then the the disposing of the discarded mass, which became a kind of a too much of a toll on the sanitation workers' life. So which means that you know even after they have to uh, walk for an hour or so to get down to their work, that become a kind of primary responsibility. And when they reach to their work, their their temperatures were checked, their uh, you know the uniform was disinfected, and they they were supposed to change mask after four hours. So this is a kind of a all situation they were going through while performing this kind of work. Next slide. Uh, yeah. So you see that you know in this um, uh, trash, one of the important uh, bin has a kind of a red cover saying that. This is specifically for those Kaujuang, uh, that mask which people are wearing, and that was made to uh, kept there so that it can be, uh, you know, cleaned or it can be, it can be uh, completely uh, cleared after four hours when it is full, and then disinfectant of this spray which is going on the street. Both the both the photos actually show that. Yeah. Okay. Now fourth or fifth, whatever. The women also performed a significant role as the caterers and the taxi drivers, and uh, you know, the, for example, Chanqing, and also the dedicated caterers, delivery drivers. They were working around the clock to provide free meals to medical staff in Wuhan because the medical staff in Wuhan are not able to go back to their hometowns. They are not able to go anywhere to eat their meals, so they have taken the responsibility of providing free meals to this medical staff, and. For that, they have made a huge sacrifice because most of this migrant labor who is engaged in this kind of a caterers and taxi driver work. So mostly some of them have come from Shanxi for, and they could not go back to their village. I mean, they could not go back to their hometown even after it was a, a spring festival. And they were, they, were, they, were, they were made to stay back, but they decided to uh, provide meal to all, this, uh, all, you know, all the people who are working in this hospital. So you have this delivery workers, taxi drivers, sanitationers, community workers, who were not only uh, you know, uh, supplying food, but other daily necessities as well as medicines for those who were not going out. So I got, you know, so next, and we can go to the next slide. Uh, yeah, so this is a you know, special, uh, there was a special uh, company, Methuan, which will come in one of the pictures, where they were decided to provide meal to all the people who are working there. Next, next photo. Yeah, so this is the, you know, the, the, all this food has been packed up in the taxis and then send it to the hospital where they were supposed to, yeah. And you will see this here, the nurses are queuing up to pick up their packets of food. Uh, yeah, so, um, and uh, so basically this, the, you know, the food delivery company, though it has employed most of this uh, migrant labor, migrant women workers, but they decided to stay back and also, they took a special task of, uh, you know, carrying all these uh, women who or people who needed some kind of a hospital hospital help. So they did not think of too much about, uh, you know, the, the the disease or the infection they may get into. Rather, they actually decided to get into this kind of voluntary work, providing all kind of help to the people. Now, I come to this after describing the stories of uh, women who actually decide to be very much coming forward and participating in this pandemic situation so that they can uh, provide all kinds of voluntary work. Now, uh, after the COVID-19, uh, what are the industries which are mainly affected by this, by this pandemic? 
And though uh, you know there was a statistics and figure which actually indicate that most of the women are actually working in this area of agriculture, hotel catering, wholesale retail industries. I mean, you domestic workers and culture entertainment. And these areas are supposed to be very badly hit after the COVID-19, which may have some kind of an impact on uh, our situation, as well as it, this industry may take some time to employ women back, as well as give them the salaries. Yeah. And yeah, we can, uh, so I got this, uh, uh, you know, uh, slide uh, to basically indicate, so the, the percentage in the red, you can see is the women employment and the, and the color, blue color is basically about the men's employment in the particular sector. So if you go from, you know, below Beisheng, the last, uh, uh, the last uh, you know, the character which is written in the uh, last part of this uh, uh, figure data actually shows about the nurses, the, the sanitation kind of work where you see the mostly women are employed in this area. So, uh, and then you have this uh, Susha, so basically uh, about the catering, as well as you, your finance and education, retail. So all this service industry where you have most of the women employed, so therefore, these sectors are going to have a kind of a adverse impact on women's employment uh, where uh, after the COVID-19. And these are sectors where you have the most number of women employed in this area. Rather, if you go in the up, so basically construction as well as uh, uh, transportation and communication, you have and science and technology where you have uh, and the real estate where you have mostly men employed, which is not going to be, uh, I mean, where, where maybe the COVID-19 impact may not be as high as in the service sector or some of these, uh, you know, basically where women are employed in more in number. And also, uh, yeah, so, so I'm saying that since women mainly work in the area of technical staff and the professional staff and uh, managers and the party government offices, you have mostly male. So, in, so given this kind of a paradox in the employment situation in China, uh, where you have mostly women working as a nurses or, or, or domestic workers or street cleaners, naturally the COVID-19 has a kind of adverse impact on these situations. Also, the unemployment of the uh, women in the early years of 2024, basically when they come out of the college years or undergraduation, there also looks like that uh, women are going to get less, I mean, employment a little later than the, than, the, than the men, because as it is, there's a kind of a disparity in women getting employment in urban areas, uh, which is little lesser than the men getting employment in those areas. So there's always a kind of a, uh, you know, as it is, there's a kind of a disparity in these sectors, which is going to get, which is further going to be affected, uh, which is further going to have a kind of an impact, adverse impact because of COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah, next slide we can go. Yeah. See, this is the other which I come across. Uh, by Ministry of Human Resources and Social Security. And we say that there are almost 100 most unemployment jobs in China by uh, third quarter of 2020 as a kind of a impact of COVID-19. And among them, uh, you know, all this is staff, cleaners, restaurant waiters, security guards, uh, housekeeping attendants, customer service, real estate brokers, delivery workers. So all this considered to be a top 10 most underemployed occupation. And I needless to say, most of these sectors are actually dominated by women. So therefore, the impact of COVID-19 on women's employment situation is going to be much adverse in China than you know, one, can, one can think of because of the paradox in the situation of women employment in these sectors. Now, uh, yeah, before I come to this, this slide, I also want to say that 
as it is in china if you look at it there was a kind of a uh, you know discrimination i mean there is a reports of gender discrimination especially uh, in some of the sectors where they where the where people prefer more more men than women so there was a kind of a report where they where there was advertisement that they prefer men over women because they think that in this particular sectors since overtime is required or intensive work is needed women can actually men can actually be more preferred than women so you have this kind of situation in china already where in particular sectors women are preferred men are preferred more in number than than women apart from that some of the important technological companies like tencent baidu and alibaba they are also in a way you know creating a kind of particular images of women working in their companies so all this are happening in china though you have a kind of illegal protection about women's work of women's employment in chinese constitution as well as the various laws which china has created from you know early 1980s till now so you have a, for example law on the protection of women's rights and interest you have you know talking about uh, women's development guidelines in 1995 onwards then you have you know series of all this uh, development program which china has been engaged in especially since the uh, beijing conference of women in uh, in 1995 but even after that you still have a kind of a discrimination in terms of employment participation of women in the labor force uh, considering that women are actually coming up in a big number in some other some other sectors so so what is happening uh, in those areas also the some of the sectors are seems to be considered as uh, as belonging to women uh, where women are considered to be more preferred more for example you know there is a kind of a term which has been used in china cleaning auntie so you know the cleaning job is actually goes to women more and also uh, there is a kind of this uh, uh, you know cooking auntie so this kind of a cleaning and cooking kind of a job which has been advertised as a kind of a women type of job which has been coming up in a big way in china so which means that since this already been persisting uh, persisting kind of inequalities which were very much there in china earlier so covid 19 actually has further aggravated it by having a impact there because these are the sector which were quite hardly hit because of this pandemic now this last photo which i am showing in this uh, in this slide is basically about the auntie shion we seems to be uh, you know a kind of a very favorite uh, like small scale businesses or you have the street businesses or the street vendors where people in the morning want to pick up the breakfast before going to their uh, offices as well as going to their jobs and in this uh, in this situation you know the one auntie shion which they always miss who lost her life due to covid 19 pandemic and which used to make this wuhan breakfast uh, quite you know quite delicious and people from all over the i mean she used to have a clients from all over the places and people who are left that area also come from their far off places to eat her breakfast so the sad story which was going uh, going in the media saying that oh the covid 19 has opened up the street and the street businesses but auntie shuang will be missed uh, by the by the residents because she 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 somehow because of no security or because of no uh, you know welfare packages she could not she could not make up to this fight against the covid 19 and uh, so the the question is that what about all this small scale business street vendors and this uh, you know the women who were actually running the small the small business on the street this seems to be completely a kind of a, a miss story which people have not covered much apart from this frontline workers in in normally official narratives of china 
Okay. So, um, and before I, so I can uh, further can talk about some, some little, little bit more about, you know, how uh, this kind of pandemic also created a kind of a, uh, you know, problem for uh, generally about the women's work in the sense that how do you look at now women's, women's work in China where most of this uh, employment as well as uh, uh, the kind of existing inequalities highlighted uh, the sectors which were earlier employed by women as well as created a kind of a discrimination further against the women's condition. Now, domestic violence, of course, uh, you know, people, uh, I mean, there were stories of that how, as well as newspaper reports about that, uh, you know, how everybody uh, is actually going through a, a time where people are, end up in doing a lot of work. So women especially, are doing household work as well as you know managing the offices as well as the children. So this extra work which has been imposed on women because of COVID-19. Apart from that, there were also a narratives of domestic violence, which has also increased in a, in, in a big base in China. And somewhere, this domestic violence are considered to be supposed to be you know aggravated more because mostly women are at home and so, somehow. Uh, that you know seems to be a little more difficult to accept women as a kind of a working conditions in China. So this is again uh, a, a phenomena which has been uh, you know highlighted especially by the media that how it is important that the domestic violence as a kind of you know especially by women's federation when they have made a kind of a law against this anti and domestic violence in 2015. But still after that you know, so many years, you still see kind of phenomena happening, especially this COVID-19, which has highlighted this particular year when, you know, women have been thrown out from their homes and they have been asked to be on the street uh, considering the situation they are in. So this is something which uh, I think Chinese government could not control even after there was a kind of emergency situation in this area. So to basically, you know, uh, conclude in the sense that how uh, one can look at now the women's situation after this COVID-19 uh, pandemic. See, uh, you know, China actually began from this, uh, uh, from this very much phrases of uh, gender equality, where people were talking about that men and women are equal. And uh, so what men can do, what men, women can do too. And then after, you know, especially after the reforms, you have, uh, a kind of, you know, uh, the opening of the research institutes as well as the gender study center in various universities. You have women's federation offices, which actually has been now, you know, having a kind of research more on not only simply on women, men and women equality, but also they have been focusing on social gender, social transformation. So that became a kind of a much wider, uh, you know, um, the, the theoretical framework in which most of this uh, academia as well as the women's organization seems to be working in. But even after doing doing so much, um, there's a still a uh, kind of a, a, though women have participated almost in a much larger number when there was a pandemic. And you will see that women have come up in a big way in terms of voluntary work, whether in case of nurses or doctors or medical staff, or in case of, you know, uh, helping the community neighborhood. But, um, you know, it's still the kind of, you know, the, 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 as I said, that there is still a kind of a long road to go in the sense that what happened to uh, what happened to women who actually have a kind of a problem with the, for example, the, the home violence, which actually has increased a lot, as well as what is the what is the way out for the women's rights per se? 
so women's rights as the you know the the development situation of chinese women uh, the chinese government has co- have come out you know all the time 2005 to 2010 2010 2020 basically taking indicators of education health uh, employment uh, etc which also actually shows a kind of a discrimination but what about a kind of you know activism which of course you will see a like you know kind of a online organization which also began uh, to to make make a kind of impact in in china but somewhere uh, i mean somewhere the categories of women the way they come up in a big way though of course on the one hand they show that how women were so actively participating in fighting against this pandemic but on the other hand uh, you know there is a kind of a uh, existing persistent inequalities somewhere though they have come in a big way there is a gender stereotype there is a particular images of women there is a of course but in all the situation there was a kind of a digital feminism in the sense of you know women were writing or women were trying to reach out to the public women were trying to write a novel so that became a kind of a particular interesting phenomena which actually indicate that women tried decide to speak out against the kind of suffering they were having because of covid-19 so i think uh, i may stop here if uh, thank you ma'am for uh, such an insightful and also very visual presentation uh, thank you i think uh, uh, we would uh, call our discussions and then go to our chair professor kilkar after that uh, so we have with us uh, our first discussant dr priyanka pandit she is a post doctoral fellow in the department of international relations and governance studies at the school of humanities and social sciences shivnathar university Welcome, Priyanka. Uh, thank you, Anshula. Uh, thank you, ma'am. Thank you, uh, Ritu, ma'am, for the wonderful, uh, for the very comprehensive uh, presentation. Uh, in fact, uh, what ma'am said, something like three important things. Actually, uh, the presentation underscores very, very three important points. The first is the existence or the continuity of the uh, gendered roles in China's. Uh, public as well as in the private sector so what uh, the covid-19 pandemic did was that it underscored and it in fact exposed the the continuing gendered roles in uh, china's economy uh, like for example in the frontline workers amongst the uh, community workers we see that most of the community workers most of the frontline workers it's the women the caregiving community it consists of the women so these are the particular roles where the women get uh, most employment so we see a kind of a disproportionate impact on on women employed in these sectors as a result of the covid-19 pandemic so which kind of again uh, lead us to think about the achievements uh, china's achievements on gender equality after three decades of uh, communism and economic liberalism and as ma'am ma mentioned rightly that despite the existence of the uh, legal frameworks uh, these uh, inequality or the gender gaps in employment or the uh, gender biases in hiring uh, continued in china and therefore women in fact found very difficult to get employed for example in national civil services where uh, the preference is mostly for men 
even to climb up the ladder in corporates or for example in other sectors uh, where and, and also the advertisements these days it made quite like despite the policies in place uh, the companies could come up with advertisements like uh, we only want men in these positions and women are not allowed so these things became very explicit and what pandemic did it it, it kind of exacerbated this kind of inequality and increased uh, the the number of working hours on these communities, especially the community workers, the sanitation workers, the uh, community of caregivers, and 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 as a result, uh, these communities felt the pressures. And uh, due to the increasing censorship, uh, the uh, women's rights are women rights workers are facing in China after Xi Jinping came to power, and especially after President Xi's statements uh, last year asking women to shoulder more responsibilities. As far as the child care after after uh, the two child policy in 2015 uh, to, to, to shoulder more responsibilities of the aging to shoulder more responsibilities of the caregiving I think there's some kind of a government a tacit government support to these kind of gendered roles in public, as well as in the private lives in China and, and pandemic not only underscored these uh, these these very striking uh, feature in Chinese society about the Chinese society, but it also kind of uh intensified the struggle the women uh faces in in, in china especially in Wuhan, of course uh, being uh, being the epicenter of the virus and and also uh if, if we look at the social safety needs that exist in china first and foremost uh the entire debate about uh the sustainability of chinese economy and if you kind of link that debate to to the uh labor force uh, keeping the women or the men out of that debate, if we just link it to the labor force, the labor market, the, the one of the key dimension, key aspects of the debate is that due to the absence of the social safety nets in China, the labor force, the migrant workers are going to be uh, facing, uh, in fact, are facing the brunt of the pandemic in a major way. And in that labor force, it's the women workers who are facing the maximum impact of the uh, pandemic both economically, psychologically, as well as socially. Uh, and then coming to the private lives, uh, of course, uh, women um, um, in China mostly, uh, yes, there has been some sort of improvement in women's lives in China uh, over the years as compared to the other countries in South Asia uh, in terms of uh, their access to higher education, in terms of their access to employment. But of course, within that, we have seen biases uh, in terms of employment, uh, what kind of jobs they were allowed to uh, take up and jobs they were not allowed to enter into, or uh, also in terms of their uh, um, uh, 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 climbing up the ladder, and also in terms of their uh, um, pay. So there was also a difference in terms of their uh, uh, in, in in how they were paid. So there there also existed a kind of gap. Uh, on, on, on those fronts. Now, uh, what this pandemic did uh, to the women, in particular uh, belonging to the uh, um, caregiving community, that while they had to work, in fact work more hours at the hospitals, uh, back home they also had to, because of the gendered roles in the private lives of Chinese women, where the caregiving work, looking after the aging uh, parents, were mostly taken, were mostly on the women. So that extra work was something that women had also had to do in, uh, in, in Wuhan or in other parts of China. So speaking to one of my friend who is Wuhan, who is in Wuhan, her mother is a nurse in one of the hospitals in Wuhan. And what she told me is that her mother like works 
at a stretch in three days in in one of the in the hospital in China, and then when she returns, what she, like she has to then do the household chores, like the the piles of clothes she is engaged into washing. So she says that I feel really bad, but then that's how it has been. So we see a kind of so it could have been otherwise. It could have in fact brought about a cultural shift. Uh, for example, well, while women uh, were uh, became mostly engaged into these outward work in the hospitals or in the public spaces, these household chores could have been easily taken up by men, which of course in China, we see a kind of sharing of responsibility uh, done by men as well, but most of it is done by women and is still done by women. So it could have been some sort of silver lining, but it hasn't happened that way. It continues to be that gendered specific roles, both in public as well as in private in China. Of course, in Wuhan, uh, Wuhan mostly and in other parts of China as well. Uh, then coming to the economic aspects, uh, the economic impact uh, on on, uh, uh, on on women uh, on uh, like if it's if if you look at the economic uh, redistribution of the economic impacts and what we see is that uh, again a disproportionate impact that the women face. So the extra work that women ha women have engaged into. Uh, be it the frontline workers or the community workers, the, um, the, the extra number of hours that they have given to the hospitals or to the other jobs, they have not been adequately compensated because again, it becomes easier uh, for the government or for the uh, or, or, or for the managers, because it is also mostly uh, again uh, done by the companies who hire women to carry out these kind of jobs. So uh, again, they are not adequately compensated. Lack of social safety nets and the migrant workers who came from different provinces, as Ma'am rightly mentioned, those who got tested COVID positive found very difficult to get into quarantines, and those who did not have COVID positive very much were exposed to the risks of getting COVID, and they did not even find spaces to stay. So most of them were either putting up in some corner, shanty corners in the um, subways, in the metro stations, uh, or maybe spending uh, nights in the, in, the, in the shops, in the departmental stores. So that's how uh, it impacted. And also the another impact uh, when with the opening of the uh, um, economy with the opening of the markets, a post uh, re release uh, of the lockdown in China, what happened as a result that these women, of course, were called back to work, but then uh, some of them even found difficult. Those who actually managed to travel to the rural areas, they found difficult to come back to the cities due to the uh, lack of the uh, cards, the special cards which the government, which the city governments then demanded after the lockdown. So where the men uh, found it easier uh, to get access, to get hold of those cards, uh, the, that they are free of any, that they are free of of viruses and, and, and they will carry adequate protective gears. Women found difficult to, to get access to the protective gears as well as to get hold of those CTID cards, which became very important, which became in fact mandatory for, for any labor or for any migrant labor to carry uh, while traveling to the cities. So again, they remained jobless. They were stuck in the rural areas and their lives, of course, uh, continued to remain miserable. So therefore, uh, what uh, what we can like, you know, uh, so what this uh, pandemic has done mostly, it has increased or it has in fact undone the achievements that China has gained over the years in terms of gender equality or in terms of improving the lives of women. I think there's been a sort of reversal of that achievements and the status quo continues. 
Thank you. So, uh, will Simi or Arjun or any other questions or will come on this or? Uh, no, ma'am, not from my end. I think we can continue. Thank you. Ma'am, we have uh, Dr. Arjun Kumar uh, next. He is uh, Director IMPRI and also China India Visiting Scholars Fellow at Ashoka University, where he studies economy, housing, market, urbanization, uh, development, and international relations. Okay. So, Dr. Arjun Kumar. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much, ma'am, and for really taking time from last two months and uh, preparing for it, doing so much of research. So let me congratulate uh, uh, Professor Ritu. Uh, so uh, I was really, it was like an audit course for me since I'm also doing this fellowship with Asoka on uh, China and India. And uh, I am there looking on housing, urbanization and economic rights in the property and housing market. And I really thought since we also have Govind ma'am to uh, learn more that uh, uh, since Priyanka ma'am also highlighted that in the last three decades of communism and but also economic liberalization uh, but there was also one child policy which came so how has that uh, uh, turned up and what has happened uh, due to that if you can also see that even now in modern economy and what is the their economic right or participation in employment yes there is uh, inferior set of as as Ritu Ma'am is also highlighting and our panelists. Uh, but as if we compare it to India, then we see there is stark differences in our cities, in our economic markets, uh, be it anywhere, we do not see that many women as whenever we see uh, uh, a Chinese women in, in their market participation, or be it even traveling uh, abroad or doing work abroad. So what has been the differences in terms of India and China in achieving the gender parity, especially pertaining to employment and economic right. So that I thought that one question I would ask. And secondly, I thought that uh, is there also some aspiration as in India that is typically choice for men and women. Uh, most of men do, uh, you know, polytechnic and then engineering. What, what has been the aspiration of the new uh, Chinese or Wuhan or uh, women there in terms of education and employment, we really see that many in the hospitality uh, and uh, uh, hospital, many, many places, there is a lot of participation of women also in retail and other, other sectors. So I really wanted to know and uh, understand from you the differences between uh, India and, and Chinese women, if ma'am, you both can enlighten. Yes, go in ma'am. Oh, you would uh, like me to. Okay, then you can take all the questions together. No, actually, uh, what I see the China, I studied China from the kind of, from its inception phase when the, from the Yenan period, when the uh, wholehearted attempts were made to liberate women. And, uh, and how many, two major uh, laws were passed and uh, as the, looking at the entire problem, looking at addressing the community and addressing the, uh, addressing the state. One was really self-arranged marriages. So parental control, parental hold was very high because that was the crux of the patriarchy. And uh, so that was the self-arranged marriages where they are giving freedom to young people to choose their partners and other things. And second was uh, 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 the land rights. 
So giving individual land rights to women and men within the family, it was not really the household. Somehow these things as China got uh, into the process of modernization, patriarchy kind of took hold, become, became stronger and stronger. It was already very strong. I mean, China and India are really known for very kind of classic patriarchal forms. Sun preference, I mean, all this emerging economy and now even number two economy, what about happens to women? I mean, it is a kind of uh, that uh, we all know what happens to those missing women, which economists have pointed like uh, Amartya Sen by taking examples from India and China. So how in this kind of situation, in this fine, when the a girl child is not allowed to live even, how we can think of that when she grows up, somehow she manages to live, she would be treated like a equal human being. She would not be treated, that is the kind of. So I think there is a willful discrimination in China, willful on the part of the state, on the part of the society. Uh, that is the uh, that is my one contention, I think, because indicators will be really missing women phenomena continues. Uh, uh, that has been the so there is the explicit and implicit forms of discrimination against women. Value of women's work is the kind of see that they are concentrated in lower ranking jobs. They are not there in decision making, and that is a good lesson for a lot of us for planning people and uh, those who think that uh, an economist, work participation. Work participation is very high in China, but work part and very low in India, okay? But work participation does not liberate women. Huh? That is the kind of, the, because uh, of course, Mao used to say that kind of thing, washing machines don't liberate women and somehow that, so the task was really, at one point there was a campaign just soon after the, or during the process of the cultural revolution that men share the work and um, housework and also that uh, there should be a, a battery local marriages. That is the, there was a campaign introduced, but it was, it was soon after not promoted at all because there was so much resistance. So that is one thing that, um, this is the background that we are dealing with. So uh, now, and this is also which really talks about the socialist nature of the state, that how the patriarchy has continued in the socialist and communist forms of the state, because gender has to be fought on its own category. It does not really become part of any kind of either a subset of poverty or subset of socialism. That is a one factor. Second, my learning is really, some gains were made in the pre-reform period, I mean. But you know, what were these gains? For example, I have looked at the land rights question. In one year of when the land rights reform were passed and when peasant women, when poor women claimed their land rights within the family, women were murdered within the family. Yeah? There were uh, some figures say 80,000 women were murdered in Yenan itself kind of in that period, which was the revolutionary period. So you look at the kind of patriarchal hold on the minds of the people. So, but with, with the gradual disappearance of the modernization process, patriarchy, also whatever the gains were made, there were laws were passed, their women came out, they got the names, they were, earlier they did not have the names, China emerged from that kind of thing. So, um, uh, those things were changed, but it seems that in the modernization process of the so 
either the socialist form of um, modernization or the capitalist form of modernization. It's a mixture of both. Women lost seem to have gradually disappeared. Uh, they have lost their codified uh, kind of uh, rights. Women's um, uh, concentration, I have said, uh, violence against women. I was in one conference in violence against women in China. And one form of the violence was where there is no parda system in China. It is not like Bihar or Uttar Pradesh or North India, where they would observe Ghungat or they would have the sari and all this. Their dresses are like men. So that's what I'm saying, jeans and all that. But women were seen that there, one form of violence was said that their eyes were taken out, uh, taken out by the men. That she was standing at the door and the man said, that um, there were these only two cases, but they indicate kind of thing in one conference was presented that you are trying to find another husband. What is your kind of uh, this thing? Uh, so the violence has become, it has become very evident in the COVID period as in many other countries. China is not the only one, India is worse kind of thing. There is a France, there is Singapore. I mean, I don't know this kind of um, male system and male nature, or that that is what I'm talking about, that has become very evident in the COVID period, that how they have demanded the things and how they, when they think that their rights are really not met and they are no longer as the, the real, the masters of the household, they resort to violence. That is what one thing would be there. <coughs> the, having said all this, I'm not so uh, kind of um, pessimistic. There are, these are the young women and not so young women who have been fighting through, all through the kind of, they, they have fought in the Kankaching, um, uh, fought uh, in the revolutionary period for women's rights. There were other women. And now a lot of young women, they are fighting, they are putting protest in place. And there are some men also, young men who are joining them. That is the kind of rights that also one sees. The, so attempt at women's advancement agency without state support, while the state tries everything, that feminism, they think it is completely Western things, it doesn't exist in China thing. So my analysis is this, that we should not lose hope. We should really think that the, it is the youth and particular youth, sensitive youth, gender responsive youth, where we have the, uh, where we have the kind of our hope, both in India and more so in China. Um, um, if you look at women's writings, plays, I mean, uh, this uh, Wuhan diary, what it says that uh, she writes on the 8th March and look at that, she says, most women are relegated to a lower social status than men, which means that when trouble comes, the new young, that is the women, are the ones who step in to put things back in order. So they are, although they are lower status, but they are the ones who are, this is the contradiction. They are the ones who are putting things in order. That is the kind of thing. That, that is the real picture of the women have to be seen. In India also, we, who are the frontline workers, who are the role of the ashas and the nurses that uh, one has to see in similar condition. Second, I would think that China did not really have, uh, and, uh, or India of course was, uh, in the two kind of, uh, neither it gave the control of the resources. Land law was passed repeatedly. It was two, three times it was amended, but still, the local village committees were not allowing land to be passed, land and housing to be passed in the name of the women. I mean, they will find all kinds of ways not to give it them. So that is long. So asset ownership was not in the hands of women, neither the decision making. 
Politburo and other kind of wherever the decisions are made uh, that uh, the, in the centralized democratic system that uh, women are totally absent. And then you find that who will represent them? Power holders, men are power holders here, this kind of thing. And they do not see the way the, the, China, the women would see their, their own reality. So these are some of the complexes that I think uh, we learned from uh, Professor Agrawal's presentation. Thank you. So uh, back um, to Professor Agrawal for- Yes, yes. yes. Okay. Thank you, ma'am, yes. Yeah, yeah. I actually, um, you know, I, I, I think uh, Dr. Kilka, the way she has put it, that uh, there's still an optim optimism, there's still some hope lies. And I really believe in that considering the way women actually have participated. I mean, I was carried away and I was so much uh, excited to see women's different roles, whether they talk about not only simply nurses or the medical staff, but also, you know, the volunteer workers, the community taking care of them, the neighborhood workers. The, I mean, the way they have taken charge of fighting against the COVID-19 pandemic, not even, you know, bothering about their their health or their conditions or their families behind. They were just wanted to help other people who are into trouble. So that actually shows that how much they are able to negotiate. I mean, in this entire story, of course, they are the one who are actually seems to be, uh, you know, worse affected by the pandemic. Sometimes they may get the infection, sometimes they may get into a different kind of problems. But the very fact is that, you know, the way they are able to negotiate somewhere the strategies and able to raise their voices. Uh, you know, for example, the uh, ma'am is talking about the fun fun, the, the diary, the Wuhan diary, as well as uh, the kind of even sometimes the nurses who decide to speak out against this hospital authorities who decide to be silent about this pandemic. So all indicate that somewhere in China, women are able to speak out things. And I remember, you know, many years back when uh, ma'am and me actually went to some uh, Blaze survey, and I remember ma'am was saying that one can actually hear, hear women are coming out to speak to the even the foreigners, something which you don't see in Indian villages, where women are not actually seems to be made to come out of the houses and they are allowed to speak to the strangers. So this is something, you know, the patriarchy, if you understand in terms of uh, uh, the, the way they are able to negotiate the spaces, which was earlier dominated by men. In that sense, I think the women in China Whatever you talk about, I mean, it begins from the your arrival in the airport, and you see the first time the immigration officers mostly employed women are employed in that category as well, and then you will of course see women taxi drivers, women bus drivers, women women car women even you know the truck drivers as well. So the kind of physical labor they the way they have challenged with something where in India, I mean, there seems to be still a kind of a lot of gap between men and women even dominating that space. I mean. I'm so surprised to see that some of the sectors in India seems to be still dominated by men, which has taken largely by women in a much better way in China. So the point is that uh, the visibility of women, the way it has come up in a big way in China, as Arjun was saying that, you know, how uh, you see women everywhere. But it doesn't ensure that, of course, the gender equality has been attained by China in a big way. And that uh, I'm sure one can look at the role of Women's Federation in that as well. I'm, I'm I'm like, you know, just trying to bring uh, the role of Women's Federation that sometime uh, in one of my recent uh, visit to a, again, a kind of a, a township in Yunnan, I was surprised to see that Women's uh, Federation office was shut down. So, you know, it seems to 
to be that uh, why i mean the earlier the role was given to the women's federation was basically taking care of uh, you know punishing those women who are violating the rules of uh, two child population policy or one child population policy or they were supposed to you know perform the role of uh, uh, mobilizing women to participate in the revolutionary or the post revolutionary activities so all that seems to be now completely over so basically they are uh, uh, involved in other kind of work for example they are supposed to give a scientific and technological training to women which can be used for farming production activities or they seems to be active in other kind of you know getting this indexes done whether what is the attainment of education employment etc in terms of women so in this sense the role of women's federation also in a way has changed in a big way from uh, revolutionary or post revolutionary time till now and therefore somewhere you will see either geographically the women's federation office has been very much marginalized in the other vis-a-vis uh, -vis other party offices as well as the other government offices you have in the in china uh, or the women's federation officers the people who are actually uh, uh, you know serving as a director deputy director at the women's federation offices they are never giving a such kind of a parity as the party secretaries as well as the other uh, important government position government officers in that position so their position is always at the lower rank because that considered to be you know because in china uh, the rank of party secretary as well as, as well as the rank of government of government officers seems to be based on the performance based that you know if you are if you are, seems to perform well you will be given promotions and further uh, in promotion to a little higher level positions but in case of women's federation offices nothing seems to be performing well in the sense there is no seems to be any kind of performance assessment that you have performed well maybe in the initial year it was when there was a focus on the one child population policy but in the recent years since they those kind of a you know the state uh, uh, priorities are not that important so there is no there is not much impact or there is no not much focus on the performances of uh, women's federation officers so they remain where they are and sometimes you know the uh, if you look at the some of the studies which has been done by some some scholars on women's federations uh, as well as the people who are working in that offices they will say that it looks like that there is no way take them to the little higher level positions so they remain where they are and there you have this kind of a you know the, the kind of a, you know a confinement to a particular room where the women's federation office has been located and you have to carry forward the rules of the party as well as the government and plus you don't have a much incentive as the as the salaries and the payment which is given to you is also much less than the other government office staff and on the other hand you are only supposed to perform a kind of a consultation kind of purpose work in the sense that you are supposed to only uh, you know give a kind of a policy input when uh, government is making policy regarding women and child development so women's federation seems to be much more uh, devoted to women and child so women and child actually comes together so this funin in the sense that you know women is the one who supposed to take care of the family and the child that seems to be a much more kind of a wider accepted role which women are supposed to perform and therefore uh, you know in somewhere you know the local uh, whether you talk about the the women's federation at the, at the central level or at the local level seems to be uh, completely completely been uh, either been marginalized or i would say missed out by the larger policy making processes because that they don't seem to be making any kind of a great insight into the policy making so this is the problem with the people so there are uh, a special department we supposed to perform the women's work but in the years to come since women's work the way it has been used to be defined by the party state 
has changed in a significant ways. Therefore, it led to a not only geographical marginalization of this women federation office, but also a kind of a, uh, I mean, the role marginalization of this women federation where they are not supposed to perform such an important role in the policymaking process, which used to be the part of the earlier where you have some of the important women revolutionary activists used to come out from the women federation. So this is something which I found, you know, that, uh, and, but on the, on the other hand, you have a, Till uh, last five years back, you have this series of NGOs which came up in China. It seems to be working on the women's issues and where uh, domestic violence as well as the land right was taken up through the online activism. But this online activism, since it has limitations, only thing is that women are supposed to speak out their grievances against through this uh, various uh, you know, the hotline services, etc. But what is the actual outcome at the ground level? That remains a kind of a question mark because once you try to implement it or try to uh, find out what is a local reality, that seems to be sometimes not spoken out much, not articulated much in this situation. So this NGOs uh, seems to be uh, now with the Xi Jinping coming over in 2015, there was a lot of focus on mass mobilization work. So again, they were trying to revive the role of various mass organizations, as well as the linkages of the party secretary with the grassroots level, the, of the workers. So that seems to be again brought about the whole issue of that, how um, all this, uh, all these local offices can actually work in, in kind of a relationship with the people who are at the masses. So that further created a kind of an image about that, how women can also be actively participated. But you know, the, all this, all that which was there in the earlier time that uh, you know, the men and women seems to be reaching to the equality or uh, there was a kind of a equal part participation of labor. So that seems to be, of course, not no longer a kind of a state priority in, the, in these years. Rather, you know, uh, they, and since the household became a unit of production, this, you know, the kind of a clear division of labor also doesn't seem to be. Uh, much more a kind of a clear goal which a state can actually talk about. So because most of the things have been shared, the way it has been done, the, some, some work seems to be kind of a women's work. So there no longer has been caution in that sense because it looks like that feminism has left to the household head as well as the household, uh, you know, the people who are working in that particular uh, family seems to be managing that much better than the state has to interfere in that case. So that seems to be a... Uh, a, a kind of a situation which you see. But apart from that, somewhere you also see a kind of a negotiation skills or strategy, which seems to be women are talking much about their rights. Uh, and one, uh, one example which I can say is that many women decide to be, be single or be, you know, remain unmarried. So of course, you know, Chinese state has their derogatory term for that, you know, women who are left behind. But, but that's a different story. But the reason is that when women choose to uh, you know, uh, be remain single or unmarried seems to be a kind of a, a negotiation strategy which they are able to come up with this in 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 the given the state the feminism kind of situation they are in. So somewhere, the patriarchy, um, you know, the larger questions. If you look at it, for example, in case of uh, India, what I was what I was very much uh, uh, you know impressed by this whole idea of uh, urban villages in India. So you have this, uh, you know, for example, this Besrai and the Munirka, the urban villages in India, and the situation of domestic workers. The, the, the way they were so much affected by this pandemic 19, many of them had lost their jobs. Many of them were who were migrated from the other places. They were supposed to go back to their hometowns. But in these urban villages, 
while they were, uh, you know, they were affected by the COVID-19, but then there I saw their, you know, the desire to negotiate even with their, with their, uh, you know, employer. So they are ready to cut down their work. They are ready to cut down their salary. They want to, uh, they want to work with a limited kind of a, you know, employer they are working. They don't want to go to so many houses. So somewhere, you know, though they are limiting, they themselves are able to limit their choices, but they think that they will prefer their employer the way they want to. So a kind of a sense of, uh, yeah, a sense of, you know, a new voice, yeah, which I found, you know, very interesting in this COVID-19, especially among the urban villages in India. Yeah. Thank you so much, ma'am. I'm sorry to interrupt, but we are well over time. Uh, we can hopefully have you again and have a longer session with the greater discussion. But, but for now, I think uh, we will propose a vote of thanks. We are really grateful uh, to you for taking out the time today and uh, giving a talk on uh, such an interesting and pertinent uh, theme, which is the coronavirus pandemic and uh, women's lives in Wuhan. Thank you, ma'am, for taking out the time. Uh, thank you to our chair, uh, Professor Govind Kelkar, uh, for uh, your insightful comments and inputs, as always. Uh, thank you to our discussant, uh, Dr. Priyanka Pandit. Um, it, this was a very uh, enlightening and enriching discussion, and hopefully we can have more again in the future. Thank you to Team Impri, uh, the Gender Center for Research and Innovation, uh, and Delhi Post. And thank you to everyone who tuned in. We hope to see you again. Thank you, everyone, and have a very good evening. Govind, ma'am, in new year, we will have some panel discussion, experience of Indian and Chinese women. Okay. Because we have so many experts, Ritu ma'am, uh, Priyanka ma'am, and many more. So some more deliberation we will do to compare both the uh, women development issues in both the countries. Okay. Yes. That would be Thank really you. Yeah. I think, Ritu, you can help in terms of identifying some, some women, and I also will try. Yes. Yes. Ziming could not come, but I guess, okay. <laughs> what will <laughs> their people say? Huh. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I also want to say, you know, thanks a lot to everyone who listened to me and also gave me this, you know, time to think about and come out with something. I hope it was, it was relevant to, you know, continue discussion on that. Yes. Thank you, uh, everyone. And thank you, especially Dr. Kilkar. This nice is a great reason. Thank you so much. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, Professor Kilkar. It was really nice listening to both of you. Okay. Thanks.